Matthew chapter 13. We began this year on a new series uh, called Focus, and the purpose of that series was to reorient ourselves in this new year of what it meant to move forward as a church together. We saw the first several weeks we looked at our community, at our heart, what it meant to live with one another in love and service, confrontation, confession, how we can experience uh, conversion within uh, one another and celebrate conversion. Then we began to think about what that looked like in terms of our mission together as a church that it displayed the unity that we have with one another to the community that we're uh, around and participating in. And so we saw uh, what God's call to his church was in making disciples. Uh, we saw last week that in Matthew chapter 4, that Jesus calls his disciples primarily to be fishers of men, to reproduce themselves as disciples. So what it means to follow Jesus means to make new disciples. And we're going to end the series of focus this morning on evangelism. And it's going to be somewhat practical. I want to remind ourselves of just exactly what we're called to and how we're then called to live out. If we take this idea that we're called to be missionaries and, and, and church planters and ambassadors for Christ, we're called to be fishers of men to reproduce ourselves, how do we actually go about doing that? What does it look like? And broadly speaking, that is the work of evangelism. Now, when I say evangelism, many of you have in mind a, a particular kind of evangelism. You have somebody who's going to be a skilled speaker, maybe somebody like Billy Graham, or maybe somebody who's really personable that has an outgoing personality that can strike up a conversation with anybody and is quick to share the gospel. I have a buddy who I was at one time with in, in McDonald's, and he was uh, thanking the, the person who took our order for serving so thank you so much for, for serving us. You know what? Someone has served you once. His name is Jesus. And he launched into the gospel. And it was super corny transition. But he's the kind of person who's a faithful evangelist. And so when someone says, I have the gift of evangelism, I think of this brother and how much he can basically evangelize a brick wall if he had to. But that's not always the picture of evangelism in the gospels. It's not the picture of evangelism in the church. We do see those who have been been gifted specifically with the ability to speak and be bold and to make those connections. God has given certain people the ability to, to be more personal and have conversations uh, uh, more easily than others. But the work of evangelism, the, the biblical patient work of doing what we are called to do on mission personally in our lives together and corporately as a church is really something much more broad than that. Evangelism is simply put, proclaiming the gospel with an aim for the salvation of others. That's really it. Proclaiming the gospel with the aim of the salvation of others. It doesn't mean that after every presentation of the gospel, you have to have a time of response and, 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 and roll out the altar call and have people make a decision at the moment. But if there's a proclamation of the gospel, an explanation or a commendation of the gospel, and a call for that individual to understand and receive by faith the gospel, then you've successfully evangelized. The results will not be up to you. The context in which that happens is not always up to you. But the ability to take the opportunities that God gives us to share our faith, to commend the gospel, to preach the gospel, is what we call evangelism. And this morning, I just want to encourage us as we finish up our series about how we will take on the rest of the year, we're going to look at the work of evangelism in Matthew chapter 13.
Now, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to get a look at what's called the parable of the sower. In the beginning of the summer, we'll take up the rest of chapter 13 and go through the first part of Matthew's parables here uh, that, gospel, uh, that, that Jesus teaches. But we're going to just initially look at Matthew chapter 13 with an eye towards the work of evangelism in the church. So before we do that, let's pray together. We'll ask God to bless our time, and then we'll launch into his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Matthew and for preserving the words of your son, Jesus Christ, for us to hear, to read, to listen to, ultimately to obey. Would you guide our minds and our hearts as we engage with it, soften them, and encourage us to, to study them more deeply so that they are rooted in our hearts. And would you, God, allow us by your spirit to obey them and believe them more deeply. For only you are possible, are able to do this. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless uh, our efforts as we pray for and engage with those you've put in our lives, as we encourage and pray for our one. Would you continue, God, to allow conversations to happen, to, to those relationships to flourish, and ultimately that we would seek and take these opportunities to commend the gospel as we do the work of evangelism. We pray and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, at this point, we, we are recognizing a bit of a shift in Jesus' ministry. Up until now, Jesus has been growing in popularity. Crowds have been following him. He's had a relative success in his ministry. Uh, he's been doing many miracles. People have been coming to know him, to hear him, to follow him. And we're actually beginning to see at this point now the polarization of the different kinds of reaction to Jesus in his ministry. You've got more and more polarized reactions. On one hand, you've got people who are loving Jesus, loving his miracles, loving his teaching, and they're beginning to flock to him and, and, and follow him and, and listen to what he has to say. And on the other hand, you have those who are becoming more and more opposed to Jesus. Think of the Pharisees who at this point now are beginning to plot ways to actually kill him or destroy him. The polarization is becoming more and more paramount. And so Jesus now is taking the opportunity to explain or to speak into the context of that polarization. That there are different reactions now to Jesus' ministry. Where before, the Pharisees more or less ignored him or dismissed him. And it was more of a grassroots thing. Now Jesus is gaining in more popularity, more success, more followers. Threatening the comfort and the ministry of the Pharisees. The polarization of the reactions are now uh, becoming more apparent. We see opposition and we see acceptance. And Jesus speaks in the middle of this context in the form of parables. And really what he's speaking to and the question he's answering is who will follow him? He's speaking in parables about who will ultimately follow him. Because not all who hear Jesus will be his followers. Not all who hear him, though there may be many, will be his followers. But even beyond that, not many who actually end up following Jesus will become disciples of Jesus. This is important. Not all who hear will become followers, and then all who follow will become disciples. Why, the question is, why do people then reject Christ? Why do people reject Christ? Why don't, in other words, people remain steadfast in the faith? Why are your evangelistic efforts seemingly in vain? When people are not responding favorably to the preaching of the gospel. 
what seems like a clear word from God about how they, they, they should live, repentance of particular sins, and they ignore it. Or maybe for a time they embrace it and they even rejoice in it, but then after a little while they fall away. Jesus is speaking to the crowds who are becoming more polarized and answering with the same answer that we can ask and answer our questions. What about our evangelistic efforts? What about the people that we know who have followed Christ for a long time but don't seem to be disciples of Christ? Who are hearers but not doers of the word? What Jesus is speaking of in the parable that we'll read in a minute is this same reality that those who hear will not always be followers and those who follow, follow will not always be disciples. Well, how do we know the difference? The difference, he will describe, is those who take the word allow the word to take root in their heart and ultimately obey it and endure by faith. So you may be struggling this past week or two as we've launched into the Who's Your One to share the gospel or maybe you've taken opportunities to to try to explain what it is you believe or why Jesus is worthy to, to be followed and believed in. But you seem to think that they're falling on deaf ears. The question of why this is happening is answered in Jesus' parable here of the sower. So we're going to read from verse 1 in chapter 13, and we'll go through his parable. We'll see why he speaks in parables in the first place, and then he actually explains the parable to us, which is half of my job this morning, so this is great. Verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given. To know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing... They do not see. And in hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, they, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. With the eye, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And in turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky soil or rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, 
immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. It's just the word of the Lord. Why does Jesus teach in parables? Well, he's teaching in parables because he's revealing the heart of his listeners. Remember, if not all who are hearers are followers, not all who are followers will be disciples. In the teaching of the parable, he's doing two things. In one sense, he's teaching and allowing what is clear to those who will be disciples to hear, understand, and follow. And to those who are followers or hearers only but not disciples, he's actually concealing part of the truth of the kingdom of God. He's explaining what it means to be in the kingdom and part of the kingdom that he's establishing and building to those who are part of it and concealing what it means to those who are not part of it. Parables are important because they are both revealing hidden truths and they are concealing hidden truths to those who have ears to hear or eyes to see or hearts to understand. This is why he quotes from Isaiah and says that I'm teaching you in a way that will heal you, but for those who have little understanding, for those who stop their ears and have grown dull in their understanding, it will be concealed. Jesus has been telling that this is what the kingdom of God will be like, growing pictures of, of what it means by healing and teaching and preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand, and now he's explaining in word pictures or in analogies, that's what parable is, exactly what this will be like. Though there are many reactions to Jesus' teaching, there will be few who will actually obey it and follow as a disciple into the kingdom of God. In fact, the parable of the sower, as you're your Bible translation may call it, may be more aptly titled the parable of the soil because it teaches that only the fertile soil of the heart, which is made rich through God's grace, will yield the fruit of enduring faith. Jesus is highlighting the inevitability of those who are not rooted in faith, not rooted in grace, not trusting in the work and the person of Jesus, the inevitability of those people to fall away not from genuine faith, but from a superficial faith that was never genuine. But only those who endure in faith will be proven to be his disciples. To show that the soil of their heart has been made ready by God's grace to receive the word of God, the soil that receiving the good news of the gospel, the word of God, made rich by God's grace, rooted and planted deeply into their hearts, yielding faith, yielding the fruit of obedience. Yielding, endurance, and perseverance. So the first thing we notice what Jesus is teaching about in this parable is that the soil of the heart is as important as the seed which is sown, which he tells us is the word of God, and the work of the sower himself. Now in this parable, Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the one going out and preaching the kingdom of God. He's the one teaching the word of God to his listeners. But what he's going to teach us it says, just as he came, the ministry he came in teaching and preaching the kingdom of God, he's going to send his disciples on to do. And so we can, by extension this morning, consider ourselves a small s sower. That we are also doing the work of cultivation, of sowing the seed of the word of God. But here in this parable, it's Jesus himself who is the sower. 
teaching and preaching the word of God, falling on different hearts, and therefore having different reactions. But the soil of the heart is made good only by the grace of God. Notice that it is nothing that the soil does to ready itself. There are no nutrients the soil can pull out from itself in which to nourish itself. The soil is either made rich and ready for the, the word of God, or it is not, by the place where God has put it. Only the grace of God allows those to receive the word with gladness and obey it and preserve in it in endurance. Jesus talks about ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart ready to receive. These ears and these eyes that hear and see the gospel are that which has been affected by God's grace in such a way that when we hear the word of God taught, preached, commended, when we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, when it's revealed to us by the teaching or the sharing of the gospel of another person, it's seen as glorious. It's heard as something triumphant and victorious. The ears to hear have been made able to hear by God's grace and God's grace alone. Notice the soil makes nothing of itself to be useful to, to receive the word. Only God's grace has made it ready. The soil of the heart must be affected by the grace of God. But then notice the work of the word when that seed is planted. As the sower goes and scatters the seed among the path and among the soil and among the good soil or the soil with weeds, notice that the work of the word takes place. The sower sows the seed of the word of God and then the seed of the word of God does its work. Jesus will tell another parable later on that the sower has nothing to do with the growth of the seed. That he can plant but then he has to go and fall asleep and it wakes up the plant has germinated and sprung. And he says, where does this come from? Only God brings that sort of growth. The sower sows the seed of the word of God, but then the word of God goes to work. And that work is a work of division. Friends, we need to understand that God's word actually divides its hearers into different categories or different soils of the heart, as it were. God's word will divide its hearers. It has a dividing effect. Think of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to divide and cut deep and separate bone and marrow. The word of God divides its hearers. And we have really two camps, two kinds of hearers. You have the feudal soil and the fertile soil. There's not three or four or five different categories of hearers. There are only two. Those who do not hear, although they may seem like they do, at times, and those who do and receive it by God's grace. The futile and the fertile. The first three soils that Jesus tells us by way of parable are, are futile. They may for a time receive the seed. It may even sprout forth and have some roots, but those roots are never deep enough to endure, and therefore the wind blows them away, the sun scorches, the enemy snatches the seed. This is a futile soil. It is not fertile, but futile. We see the hard heart as the first of the hearers that is futile. Now Jesus explains that this is those who do not understand in verse 19 the word of the kingdom, the gospel being preached, the commendation of Jesus' person and work. They do not understand it, not because of their ignorance, but because of their willfulness 
and their rejection. The evil one, it says, is comes and snatches away what has been sown into the heart. There is a hardness of the, the, the work here. In fact, this isn't even really soil at all. This is the path. What Jesus is saying is that there are some who will hear and receive the word of God that will find no place for it, even for a moment, before the enemy, the sinfulness of their heart, rejects it. The futile soil of the hard heart is somebody who does not accept, even for a moment, the word of God and the kingdom. Well, these are often easy to spot in our lives. There are those who are maybe more vocal about their, their uh, opposition to the gospel, to Jesus. They may call themselves atheists. They may take time to argue with you or oppose you to your faith or on Facebook. These are the ones who want nothing to do with God, will not accept your invitation to church, will not accept your invitation to dinner if you plan on preaching the gospel to them. They will not spend time with you because you're one of those sorts. These are those whose God has worked to harden their hearts. But these are not the only kind who ultimately reject. We see another part of the feudal soil is the superficial heart. Not only do we see the hardness of people's heart and the path, but we also see the superficiality of others' hearts as those who are sown on rocky ground. It says that these kind receive the word of God initially, but it ultimately fades. The superficial heart means that they receive the word of God with an initial sort of joy. But that joy fades over time. It's not a joy in Christ. It's a joy in some false sense of comfort and some false sense of appeasing God's wrath. Maybe God provides some blessing for them as they come to know God's people. God's people love them and serve them and they get a sense of the kindness of God in community. And so they seem to initially rejoice in the word of God being sown into their heart. But this sort of joy is a superficial joy. This sort of acceptance in the root of, of, of faith that seems to spring up is actually superficial. The sun comes out and scorches it. Verse 5 says that the seeds fell on a rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Well, friends, we may know people like this. In fact, this could have been us even at some point if we've grown up in church to notice that there are people who come to church day in and day out, hear the word of God, and can affirm it in some sense. Seem to maybe even agree with it in some sense and rejoice in it in some sense. But not in a real depth way, in a way that is only superficial. We see that there's something else that comes along that causes the joy of God's word to fade. That's because the joy that seems to be there is not actually in God's word. It's not actually in Christ, but it's in whatever Christ may have provided at any given moment. So when the sun comes out and scorches, since there is no root, it withers away. Jesus explains this as verse 20. What is sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy and yet has no root in himself but endures for a while and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. But notice what happens when we can be about the word and speech. And to some degree, we can be about the word and action. We can come to church and we can obey certain commands of God's word. We can even memorize parts of it. But when the pressure becomes a little bit more than we're willing to bear, our allegiance to Christ begins to come clear. 
the shallowness of the system, of the root system of which God's word has made becomes clear. And it's scorched and it fades away. The joy we have in knowing God through his word is only skin deep. Persecution and trials arise and our comfort becomes more important than Christ. We need to know God's word deeply, not superficially. We need to be able to see that there is a root system which must take place in our heart as much as in the heart of those who are truly to be patient in endurance. One of the reasons that we know Christians will make it to the end is because they have a deep and abiding sense of God's word in their lives. If you're a Christian and you do not know the word of God well enough, you must strive to deepen the system of the root of God's word so that you can persevere. Trials will come. The enemy will do its work. Persecution is on its way. And if our roots are not deep enough, the temptation will be to fall away. Indeed, we may show ourselves to have only a superficial faith. It's easy in this country to assume that things are going well, but if we spend time overseas or talk with our brothers and sisters facing genuine persecution all over the world, we must know and come to understand that only a deep-rooted sense of God's word and a joy in Christ himself and his kingdom will cause us to endure. Yes, that comes through memorizing God's word. Yes, it comes through coming to church. Yes, it comes through reading and studying. But it comes through ultimately a love for God and his word deeply. So you have a hard heart. You have a superficial heart. And then lastly, we have a divided heart. And this divided heart values Christ too little compared to the earthly things. What does Jesus say about this heart? says in verse 22, As what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There is a divided heart that shows that there cannot be any fruit of endurance and perseverance and patience in faith if our allegiances are divided. Jesus himself will say you cannot serve two masters, God and money or things, or comfort, or success, or fill in the blank to what it may be. The divided heart is one that will not bear fruit of endurance. It will not bear fruit of faithfulness. It will not bear fruit of obedience. And these are the soils, the hearts, that God's word falls onto that will not receive it and persevere in it. But there is another category, not a futile, but a fertile, that Jesus is saying about some of his listeners. He says that these are the ones who receive the word in good soil. This is the faithful heart. God's word and fertile hearts will bear the fruit of obedience and endurance. Remember, God's grace affects the soil, not our work, not our intellect, not our sense of self-worth, but only God's grace. And he works in the listeners of those who hear the gospel to receive it with joy. Those who value Christ above all earthly riches. Those who value Christ above their own comfort. Those who have a joy in Christ himself and his word, not just in what he may provide. Who prove themselves to be faithful. Who prove themselves to have the ready and good soil that God has prepared to receive God's word. The word of the kingdom. So friends, it's often easy for us to hear sermons and sit in judgment of those sermons. 
as a practitioner of God's word, as a preacher. It's part of our jobs to hear and judge and study the preaching and the words of others. But we need to understand that primarily you are not here to judge my preaching, but the preaching of God's word sits here to judge us. It continues to divide us. The question is, how do we respond to God's word now? That's what the parable is meant to show us, that there are many responses to God's word, but only one reveals a truthfulness and a joy in Christ and his word more deeply rooted than any other thing. And that's the sort of heart that's going to bear fruit for obedience. God's word sits in judgment of us. And even now, we must continue to respond faithfully and fruitfully to the gospel. So Jesus speaks in this parable to remind us, ultimately, that we must respond to God's word, who divides its listeners, but only one will be fruitful. Only one will be faithful. Only one truly receives the gospel and the kingdom of God. Remember, we're asking this, how this relates to our work of evangelism as a church. As we think about the one that we're praying for and and asking God to help us speak to, commend the gospel to. I have five things to share about the work of evangelism from the parable. One is that we must then sow broadly and indiscriminately. We should sow the seed of the gospel broadly and indiscriminately. If we spend all of our time determining who we'll preach to, who we'll share the gospel with, Statistically, we will not make much progress for the gospel. But if we sow the word of God broadly and indiscriminately and allow God to do the work of preparing the soil of the heart, God to do the work of germinating that seed into real faith and persevering and keeping that individual to the end, then we will do so with great confidence. In fact, this is what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy. One of the first things that he must get in order there, the church in Ephesus, is prayer, and specifically prayer for the salvation of all people, not just certain people we tend to like or want to like us. So like the sower here, we must sow broadly, not worrying about whose soil is ready to hear the gospel and who's not, not trying to identify only the good soil and forget about those who may be in rocky ground, those who may be along the path, those who we think have a better chance of obeying God's word and who doesn't. We are not able to see the whole picture. We do not know what God has in plan for that individual's life and so, friends, so broadly and indiscriminately. If you live in a neighborhood where you're surrounded by different neighbors, you may have selected one or two of those that you are most likely to communicate with and share the gospel with, but God has placed you in a community of many people. And so as he gives you opportunities, friends, sow the seed of God's word broadly indiscriminately. If you're on the bus or train on the way to work, if you're on a plane when you're flying and traveling somewhere, if you're simply waiting in line for coffee and God presents you with an opportunity to share the gospel, do not worry about whether this person will receive it by grace and faith now, but do the work of the sower and sow the seed of God's word broadly and indiscriminately. Second, we should expect varied results. So another thing that we learned about evangelism, we should expect varied results because God's working in many different kinds of people at many different times in many different ways. And because we don't know the soil of the heart to the person whom we are preaching or speaking to, we must remember that there will be varied results. Not many people will initially tell us that they would like us to preach the gospel to them and they're ready to believe. We pray for those moments, but they are few and far between. 
Remember that God has brought people into your lives in various walks and backgrounds of life so that you can share the gospel with them. And we can be patient and wait for many varied results. Some of those people may never receive the gospel by faith. Some of them will begin to understand it slowly and gradually. And some may be ready by God's grace to receive it at that moment. And you may have the privilege to pray with them as they hear and understand the gospel for the first time. But you should not expect only one sort of result. That is faith. We should see by the parable of the sower that there are many different results because of many different soils of the heart. God is at work, but the enemy is also at work. As the one who is sown among the soil, uh, among the path, the enemy comes and snatches it up. We must remember that there is an enemy at work in the world who is actively working against the kingdom of God, undermining God's word. What did Satan do in the beginning to Adam and Eve? Undermine God's word. He continues to work this way even as we preach and sow the word of God in the lives of others. He is actively trying to scatter the seeds away. The enemy is at work, but God is greater than the enemy. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, Jesus says. So we must remember that although we can expect varied results, God is sovereign over them, and we continue to sow broadly and indiscriminately. Third, once we have sown and we have tempered our expectations, we must be patient and trust God. Be patient in your evangelism and trust God. Again, you may not receive the invitation to dinner the next week. It may be a month or two before someone seems to respond favorably to your, your communication of the gospel. Friends, be patient in what God is doing in their life, just as he was working in yours when you became a Christian. Be patient and trust God. What does this look like tangibly for us? This looks like prayer. If we worry ourselves all the time about the results of the response of the people that we're praying, we're sharing the gospel with, but are not praying, we are ultimately robbing God of the credit and the responsibility that comes with his authority and his sovereignty. Our patience and our trust is manifested in our obedience to preach the gospel and to commend the gospel to others, but then to pray for that individual. Pray that it may be God's will that he works and has made that person's heart ready to receive the gospel and it will germinate into genuine faith. Friends, be patient and trust God. This also is manifested not just in prayer, but in perseverance. This means to continue to share the gospel when you're given opportunity. Even to seek to create those opportunities as God allows. This means that don't just preach the gospel once to your neighbor, and if they don't come to faith, don't do it again. That means every time he may be out mowing his lawn or raking the leaves, you speak with him. You continue to invite them to dinner, to the park. You continue to ask your coworker to lunch with you. You continue to speak to your friend, to your family member. God is at work. Be patient and trust him as he is making good the soil to receive God's word. Fourth, you should sow the seed of the biblical gospel. Not the feel-good self-helpism that others may peddle. Not a toothless Christianity that has Jesus as only loving but not wrathful against sin, whose gospel does not actually answer the, the, the issue of the atonement, but the one who truly comes from the gospel in the Bible itself. Notice that the seed is important. The seed is the word of God. We are sowing the seed of the word of God, not what we think is best, not a career move, not self-help, not consumerism, not a false or toothless Christianity, but the biblical gospel. 
This means that you need to know the gospel. My fear is that if we were to poll the church even now and ask what is the gospel, that many of you would not be able to answer it in such a succinct way that anybody hearing you could understand it, believe it, and be saved by it. You must know the gospel well. You must know it not only because you have received it and believe it, because the work of the sower depends on the knowing and the teaching of the gospel. But what is the gospel? Simply put, the gospel is good news. That Jesus came into the world. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh to redeem sinful humankind from the effects and the fall of their sin. God created the world perfect and good and upright. He established it and gave it order. And he put Adam and Eve in it. But in the beginning, we saw that Adam and Eve rejected God's will, disobeyed, and sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, death and decay and corruption, not just in the world, but in our own nature as humans, was the result. The only way that this could be made right now and our relationship with God restored is that a mediator would come in to make things whole again. And that's exactly what Christ did. Christ was sent into the world by the Father to take on flesh, to suffer. And though he did not sin and committed no iniquity, he took on the iniquity and the sin of us all. For all those who would in faith look to him and trust in him, he died. And by faith, when we see the work and person of Jesus and trust in the sufficiency of his death and the power of his resurrection, we are made whole again to God. That's the gospel. God created us, but we reject God. And because of this rejection, we are all doomed and condemned to hell. But Christ came and ransomed us from the effect of sin and the fall. And our response, the necessary response to that is faith and repentance so that we may be right with God again. Know the gospel and sow that seed of the word of God. If the gospel you preach is nothing like the gospel you hear in the Bible, friends, you must stop <coughs> and examine your own understanding. Lastly, you should focus on the heart. Notice that our evangelism doesn't focus on the head. It's not apologetics. It's not answering common objections to Christianity. He's not trying to win arguments. The sower or the evangelist is not trying to convince somebody to believe so that they can have all the right answers. But rather, the evangelist, the sower of the gospel, focuses on the heart. <coughs> Faithful evangelism is going to confront the idols of the heart, like comfort and prosperity it's going to denounce the kingdom of darkness. It's going to denounce the selfishness of the world. It's going to announce the evil bent of everybody's heart. Focus on the heart as you preach the gospel. There are circumstances in our lives in which the gospel may speak to, but as we preach the gospel, focus on the heart. We have all taken up idols. We have all set our hope and our affection on other things apart from God. What the gospel does and what the gospel does in evangelism to show us that our heart must be focused on God alone through Christ. So friends, as you are faithful in your evangelistic efforts, focus on the heart. Only the true preaching of the gospel and the commending of it to others will actually reap the fruit of saving faith, as it is God's will. The preaching works together with the preacher to work the soil that God has prepared in order to produce lasting and enduring faith. And friends, at the end of the day, this parable is not just about soil, but it's about the sower. It's just about the sower as well as the seed. Not only must God make the soil of the heart good, but the seed itself must be viable 
It must be able to germinate into eternal life, but only the gospel can do it. And this means ultimately that only the sower, Christ himself, and by extension us, as he sends us on mission, must be ready to then cultivate with God's word grace and truth in the preaching of the gospel. That's the witness of Christ. And it's the posture that us as hired hands in the field of harvest God has sent us to do. Let's hear. Above all this, the parable not only shows us the work of evangelism, but it reveals our own heart. See, God saw fit at some point in time to sow the seed of his word into our hearts through the faithful preaching and evangelism of others. And that seed was brought to life because of the nourishment and the care of his grace. Notice, as Paul says, that we were all once dead in our trespasses and sins. That the soil of our heart was stony. That it was rocky and full of weeds and idols that would choke out God's word. But God, in his grace, saw fit to make the soil of our heart good. He regenerated our heart to see the work of Christ as something to be loved and something to be cherished and treasured. That Christ himself, as the Son of God, who was sent into the world to save and redeem sinners like us. And in that moment, the soil of our heart being made good received not only with temporary gladness, but enduring gladness, that word which bore fruit of faith and endurance today. Our own heart is here good and glad and accepting of God's word because of God's grace. So friends, has your heart been made good by God's grace? It may be true, it may be possible this morning that there are those here who have a rocky and thorny ground, but a little bit of soil where the seed of God's word begins to take root. And yet that root is not very deep. And you are in danger of having that root be uprooted. You may be under the impression that you are the good soil variety because you have not yet simply fallen away. You have not yet suffered or been persecuted to examine the genuineness of your faith. What is the answer we must do? Examine then yourself for fruit. Take a look at the Gospels and Jesus' life, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 4. Think about what God is doing in the work of others in your life and ask them, do you see fruit in my life? Better yet, go to 2 Peter verse chapter 1 and see what the fruitfulness that should be yours and increasing look like. Ultimately, we are asking and praying God to hold us fast and increase us in our fruitfulness as we seek to be steadfast and mature in our own faith. Remember, friends, you yourselves were once the stony ground, unwilling or unable to receive God's word with gladness, but he has moved in such a way that he has regenerated your heart, made your soil good, that you would receive it with gladness and genuine faith. And even today, we may have a little bit of stone in our soil. Weeds that continue to pop up that need pulling. Thorns that need pruning. But that which distinguishes the good ground from the rest, in one word, is fruitfulness. And so to fruitfulness, we must pursue Notice that Jesus doesn't say that the good ground has no stones in it, doesn't have any thorns, but rather these stones and these thorns were nothing to prevail or hinder the fruitfulness of the gospel. Stones or thorns may be found in good soil of the true believer's heart, but these obstructions will not finally prevent us from bearing fruit. Friends, despite your remaining sin, and we all have it, is your life ultimately bearing fruit for Christ? 
We may examine ourselves by God's word this way, but ultimately we're asking, do we treasure and have joy in God's word? Evangelism is nothing else if not a thankful heart that is overwhelmed by God's grace, overwhelmed by God's love, desiring to commend and plead with others for the salvation of their souls. You do this because you have your first, yourself first been made well. Your soil has first been made good. Your heart has first been made clean. Your heart has now been given into fruitfulness and faithfulness and obedience. And so you go and commend with others. Friends, as we're praying for and thinking about our one, as we're working to invite others to church or to our dinner tables or to share the gospel with them, consider the work that God has done in your heart and what he might be doing in the case of others. And as you do that so broadly and indiscriminately, trusting God and being patient in the work, sowing the seed of the biblical gospel, focusing on the heart, and praying for their salvation. This is what God has called the church into doing. As we lead into the rest of this year, we're going to continue to trust that God's work as sowing into our hearts is continuing as we sow into others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your work in our heart through the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to the scriptures, suffered died, was buried, but risen again on the third day. And as he ascended to the right hand of God, he makes intercession even now for us. And though our, our, our heart may still be rocky and stony at times and at weeds that be pulling, God, your grace is more than sufficient for all of these things. And we pray, God, that you would empower us by your spirit to be faithful in our work of evangelism. That we would see, just as Jesus spoke to the different reactions and the hard-heartedness of others who would hear his word, that there are still those who would receive it with genuine gladness and perseverance and will follow him as disciples. We pray that this church would be a church of disciples who not only hear the word but do it, receive it with gladness. That the superficiality and the hypocrisy of our heart would be revealed and the roots of our faith would no longer remain shallow but deepen so that we are not tossed to and fro by the waves of human cunning and deceitfulness of schemes, that we are not scorched by the sun or the enemy could not snatch and pluck us away. But Lord, our faithfulness is kept because of your grace. I pray that for this church. I pray it for my own life. And I pray it, God, for those who are not Christians this morning, whose heart may not be fully given over to the work of, of Jesus, who have not seen him as as the, the true and glorious Son of God who died for their sins, who has come to redeem them from the curse of the fall, who has come to save them, though they are sinners, who has come to bring them into the family and household of God, who has established by his own blood a kingdom which will remain forever. God, if there are any of those here who are not truly trusting in the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and the power of his blood to forgive us of our sins by faith. Would you now move and make their heart ready to receive the gospel as they heard it this morning? That they would contemplate it this evening and that they would seek out the hope you offer in Christ as others preach it and share it with them. For us who have received it by grace, let us be joyful and glad in your work through Jesus as we eat and drink and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes as we celebrate together that sacrifice communion. We're trusting you and asking you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.